Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO matters that are top of mind for today's chief data officers. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, everybody. This is Malcolm Hawker. I am your host for the CDO Matters podcast. I'm thrilled to uh, have everybody joining today, whether that is through Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on YouTube, on prophecy.com, or any other channel that we distribute this content. Uh, It's my honor to be talking with you today. It's also my honor to have Alison Saygraves, who is joining today to discuss some very interesting topics um, I, I, I think you're going to be interested by the topic. I'm interested by the, by the topic. We're going to dry, dive into that a little bit. I got interested, interested. I got, uh, I don't say introduced. I think I reached out to you, Allison. I just sent you something on LinkedIn, which I do all the time, mm-hmm. but I became to know, I came to know of you, um, through an article that you had done and collaborated with recently with Randy Bean on Harvard Business Review. And the title of that article was why are CD AIOs? I got that right. Uh, we're gonna, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit as well. But why are CDAIO set up to fail? And I was like, hmm, I need to know more. And immediately after reading that article, I was like, okay, I have to talk to this person. Uh, and that's what led to the conversation today. So Allison, thank you so much for being here. I do want to touch on one thing. Um, I want to make sure uh, your background. Uh, you were over 30 years in M&T Bank and you were, a found- you were the founding chief data officer for the bank. So that's no small feat at all, particularly with a, with a major bank. Uh, so congrats on a great car- uh, career at, at M&T. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to our chat, Allison. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you. I'm really excited to talk with you, especially after, we, after our chat last week. Yeah, well, exactly. I, I knew we were birds of a feather because it was like all of a sudden we were 20 minutes in and we had been ranting on some of the same topics. And I was like, OK, we, we need to put this, you know, uh, I think I used the word maybe on tape, which is like really showing my age. I don't think anything exists on tape anymore. Maybe maybe archives of data, but uh, but yeah, show, showing my age. But so, so Allison, why don't you instead of me summarizing, why don't you summarize what you and Randy wrote about? And what kind of led to this conversation and, and why you think in many ways that CDOs or CDAIOs or CDAOs analytics, oh no, I'm, I'm mixing it up. But anyway, why CDOs are, are kind of designed or destined to fail? What, what did you find? Yeah, I think that, um, so, you know, I was really part of the kind of the early wave of this role from, I was yeah. in the role from 2015 to 2020. And especially in banks, this was, was a setup primarily as a, initially as a, excuse me, is a defensive role because there are so many um, compliance, financial, you know, reporting, all of those types of things are obviously essential, critical to banks. So data, um, you know, trusted data is essential, you know, for regulated industries. So there there was an iteration of CDOs that were set up in in healthcare and and, um, the regulated industries like finance in in the era that I became a CDO. so, you know, we sort of helped in a way, like frame the role. Um, but I think that um, ultimately, you know, there's just, Randy does a survey. I used to take his survey <laughs> every year. And, you know, every year you look at the survey and and like 
the scores, the, the, the reported results would, would start to decline, like in terms of, um, uh, you know, do we have a data culture? Or do we think the role is successful? And like the, the scores were not improving. And so it's like clearly something is amiss, despite the fact that, I, in my view, a lot of progress had been made in, in companies. And I can talk about that because I, I interviewed some really significant uh, CEOs of very significant companies in Silicon Valley last year. And um, it was very interesting to hear them talk about how they thought they were their perception of of what success looked like. And then I said, well, give tell me about a win that you've had. And then they would tell me something. I'm like, well, why are you saying you don't have a data culture? You just described something really significant that you've accomplished. So I, I, I actually feel that in a way, CDOs kind of have a complex and um, that the job is never done, but like focus on the fact that you've delivered some real value, focus on the fact that you've had some successes and, and don't be focusing on the fact that you haven't enabled every possible group in the company yet. Like, like New York City is still under construction. This is a function that's always going to be under construction, but focus on some of the buildings that are up and, and useful. I think there's a, a perception problem is one thing, but, but there are also structural problems as well that, that we can get into. No, really, the article was meant to, um, you know, I've, I've been out of uh, corporate America for a little over a year and uh, have been reflecting a lot and, and working at Carnegie Mellon, teaching in their chief data officer program and, and working on boards and working with CDOs. And I, I really wanted to, um, uh, you know, work with Randy, who collects the data on industry, uh, the, the surveys and the, like apply the real lessons learned on the ground, the real scars that CDOs have have suffered, and 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 really try to document those and, and try to create a bit of a path forward. So shout out to Randy Bean and the survey from New Vantage Partners that he's been doing the last I want to say twelve years, maybe maybe even longer. F forgive me if I get that if I get that yeah. number uh, incorrect, but. Um, like I want to say like a public service, but even it's way beyond that. Like the invaluable data there to the CDO community, fantastic stuff. I, I would also um, give a nod to my previous employer, Gartner, that does an annual CDO survey. I think they're on their eighth now. I was involved in the fifth and sixth and seventh iterations of it. Also amazing data there that all basically says the same thing, right? Which is we keep investing in data. We're investing in data. Data is a priority right? The role's a priority. Um, increasing numbers of companies year over year over year that have a CDO or CDO equivalent going from 10% uh, over six years ago, seven years ago to now we're, I think we're over 60%. Fantastic stuff. But then when you, when you ask, you know, hey, are you, are, are you succeeding? Are you feeling like you're succeeding? Do you have a data-driven culture? Are you driving business value? There's, there's a lot of really depressing numbers there. So, the, the, it's actually what you just said, Allison, is partially why I'm doing this podcast. Uh, because I was at Gartner and seeing a, kind of a lack of traction. Yes. And and the conclusion I came to while I was at Gartner, not not in not in entirety, but a partial cause here was that you know I was giving best practices and sharing insights and talking about driving business value and talking about building teams and the importance of governance and da 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 da, da all the stuff we know it's important. And it wasn't happening. And, and I came to the conclusion that, well, maybe maybe it's the messenger. So maybe it's me. Um, and I'm still open to that possibility, by the way. <laughs> and then maybe it's, it's the message. And I was like, no, don't think it's the message. This stuff makes sense, right? Like connecting to business value and you know, focusing on, on, on leadership and building the team and, and all these the competencies. 
And then I said, well, maybe it's the medium, right? Maybe, maybe the Gartner model is just kind of getting a little old and tired, and maybe I need to find a different way to deliver the message. So we're here today. But to your point about the conversations that you had with, with these CDOs in Silicon Valley that, that, that said that they that they weren't succeeding, but they kind of were, is that, is that, is that just excess humility? Is, is it having ov overly aggressive goals? What, what, what do you think that was? I think there's two things. I think that, um, I feel like there's a lot of apologizing for this role. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and the, like some, somewhat of a complex that if you haven't fixed everything, you have somehow failed. So, so there, there, there's one aspect that I think is just what is expectations? What is re realistic progress? Um, are we good at actually capturing the value and communicating what that progress is worth? I'm not sure that we are. Mm -hmm. um, and so some of it is just is, is perhaps um, is accounting and marketing, <laughs> but and that's superficial. But I, but I do think there is some truth to that. Uh, but also, I think um, that I, I, I feel like this is a this is a a field where urgency is required, but so is patience. And mm. I feel like we have urgency, but we don't have patience. Um, and and we're we're patient like for the wrong things. <laughs> like we're how can I describe this? Um, as consumers, as people, as citizens of the country, it's it's obvious. We don't need to preach this to people. Yeah. So I think uh, on the patience and urgency front, if I if I really think about it, and I actually reflect on one of the things that we said in the in the HBR article, is uh, I think one of the challenges we have is being able to like cross pollinate an organization. So the urgency point, the patience and the urgency is, you know, we we are able to get these successes, but they're very hard to replicate in other groups. Um, even though in many cases you're using the same data. And we gave that example in the HBR article that, for example, if you're a bank and you're analyzing fraud data and you're looking for patterns, um, that same data is going to show you what customer behavior is doing from, from looking at it from the, if, you, if you're looking at it from the customer viewpoint of, you know, what services might this customer need? It's the exact same data. But if you're successful in using that data to identify fraud patterns, <laughs> but you have not been successful in using that data for marketing, you, you'd say, well, you know, we're not data driven. We're a failure. When in fact, it's just that we haven't been able to cross pollinate that discipline and that, that skill set into another group and, de de and deploy the, that insight generation and, um, being able to, to convert these insights into action in another context. So I feel like we somehow kind of lack the patience for that um, kind of knowledge transfer to another context. And um, I guess when I talk, as I reflect on it, when I talk to these CDOs, I would hear these like really meaningful stories about substantive, demonstrable like business value they were creating in an area X. Um, but then in area Y, maybe they hadn't yet achieved it. And I thought, well, that's just like, that's a transfer problem. That's not a capability problem. And so, you know, we're beating ourselves up when, when we've demonstrated that we actually have the capability to do significant things in, a, in, a, in these companies, but we're just not necessarily able to repeat them across contexts. And I think that's, that's a different kind of skill set. Um, and so maybe we're labeling the problem wrong. I don't know. I'm throwing this out there. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. What do you think? 
or, or or the metrics of success are askew. Yeah. Right. Before before we came online, we were talking about how inflation is measured. Yes. <laughs> right. Because that's what people like us we think about this stuff. We're talking about inflation. Maybe the metric is wrong, and maybe in this case, I'm not questioning the question in in the survey uh, around things like you know, are you driving business value? Are you are you succeeding in a data driven culture? But that's a pretty all encompassing question that could mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. Maybe maybe the problem's in the question, or maybe the problem is in in the scope of the question, um, because what I'm hearing you say is the data is value is being delivered, and we are making baby steps, shall we say, in in cultural change, but we haven't made this galactic angels are singing, unbelievable. The whole company is now data driven change, and that that's what's driving this perception that that CDOs are for lack of a better word, um, failing to meet expectations as it were. Right? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's not a, yeah, I think that perhaps it, it, not to say that it's the, the question itself, but I think it's just maybe human nature is that you can never mm. declare victory because you're always trying to get better. And maybe we're not good at communicating what better looks like. And, and um, I think in some, in some ways there is a, a mismatch between the, the, progress that has been made and our ability to quantify it, market it, and uh, re, uh, repeat it, yeah. like I said, in, in other contexts. So, uh, you know, I, 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 there is a part of me that thinks that um, that people are are too hard on them. They're, they're a bit too hard on themselves. It, it, it appears That's that way. not to say that there aren't, there aren't real problems and that there aren't things that need to change. I do not want to say that, it, that that's the only reason. Well, let's let's pick on two that you've picked on twice: accounting and marketing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> These are two areas where I know CDOs can do better. Most certainly, uh, I had a post on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago where I, where I said, if there was one role that I would suggest CDOs look at for 2024, if there was one, it would be what I would call a value engineer, which mm -hmm. is basically the accounting piece of the puzzle that you just mentioned, which is how do you quantifiably prove that you're delivering business value. And that's something that we used to see at, at Gartner all the time. Like if that, if that, if you asked, are you driving value for the organization answer 67 to 80%? Yes. Can you prove it? No. That's and So yeah. that's an accounting problem to your point. Agreed. Yeah. So I think there is a component to this of, uh, you know, do you have a way to, um, you know, I hate to kind of use the word scorecard because yeah, it, no. it sounds like simplistic. But, but on the other hand, you know, do you, because we had a scorecard, we had we measured various dimensions of value. Um, it, it, I mean, there are ways that you can do this to uh, have the discipline of uh, of quantification, and it needs to be. Um, you know, you need to partner with finance so that you've got independent, you know, groups looking at these numbers and they have credibility. But yeah, I do think that um, I think in, in, in increasing the discipline around, as you called it, value engineering, it would be a really good step to, to adopt in a, in a more broad based way. I think people do this in um, at the, in certain organizations with certain levels of sophistication, but there isn't really a standard and it's not, uh, can, you know, I, I'm not aware of an industry standard, uh, and, and I'm not saying there needs to be one, but I do think this is a weak point in, in the field. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the standards are around the metrics that are used, right? Uh, TCO, ROI, Kager. I mean, look, there's 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 a lot of different measures, high level that CFOs prefer. Uh, but in terms of industry standard mo models for valuation, there may be value engineers that are listening to this and, and like screaming at their TVs right now saying, of course there is. Um, I don't know of any because anytime I've ever talked to CEOs about it, they, they seem to think that this is a snowflake problem with with in terms of how each company values things, because uh, ultimately that comes down to kind of financial policy that I don't know an awful lot about per se. But problem. So, so, so we agree. Value engineering. Um, what I would recommend to CDOs is if you don't have one of those roles, you certainly could consider one. Mm -hmm. And and if you're having a hard time justifying the funding for it, then go find those people. If, you're, if your company is big enough, they're probably sitting in FP&A roles, financial planning and analysis roles that may be under a C, probably under a CFO, maybe under some PMO type organization that does mm -hmm. uh, project cost accounting and that kind of thing. I guarantee you there are people out there. If you are bigger than, let's say, a $2 billion company-ish, there will be people in your company that do this stuff for a living, that, mm -hmm. that know how to do value engineering in some shape or form. So that's a problem number one, accounting. Problem number two, marketing. Um, I think in the data world, we dance around this one without actually using the word. We say things like data storytelling. Um, and everybody say, well, that sounds good. And can't argue with that. Everybody loves a good story. I would even argue data literacy, which... I kind of have an antibody response to that phrase and may, we can talk about that. We'll have fun with that one. Oh my goodness. It's, it's the gift that keeps giving as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but the underlying premise there is what I would call as a go-to-market function, right? If I'm launching a product, if I'm serious about data products and I'm launching products, well, I have to have a support model for that product. I've got to have uh, you know, a way of helping customers, uh, help training customers, making sure that they know what the right tool is for the right job. Arguably, that's a marketing function as well. Go to market, market mm -hmm. training, product product training, user education, user adoption, arguably marketing problems. We could keep talking, but what what would you, you know, looking back on your your career at MT from that that marketing perspective, what are some things that maybe you did right or maybe you wish you had done? Yeah. So I mean, I'll I'll, I'll like speak more broadly just about the industry. Some containing my experience and some just conversations I've had with the many, many CDOs. Um, you know, I think um, my generation of CDOs would say, hey, you know, if we if we all had it to do over again, and again, we started out kind of in the right. defensive era, but if we had it to do, had it all to do over again, uh, what would we do? We would start with the business. We would really start with um, partnering with the business. In fact, I had this exact conversation with another, with several CDOs, but one in particular who said, I would just, you know, build relationships with the business. And then he proceeded to talk about um, a really successful um, uh, deliverable that, that he helped create with, uh, with part of, I think it was the commercial bank where they used um, their, their problem was in identifying opportunities for cross-selling to their commercial clients. They ended up deploying a machine uh, learning algorithm, and um, ultimately the the usage of this was was so successful um, that you couldn't um, you couldn't separate when the algorithm from the, at least the salespeople standpoint you couldn't separate when the algorithm said hey you should talk to this customer about X Y Z product uh, they would say well I was going to do that anyway so it, it turned out that that the uh, the machinery behind the the 
the algorithm, you know, whatever the, the algorithm itself became so embedded in the process that it became, I don't mean to say invisible, but it became organic to how the salespeople ended up working with their customers. And in that case, the measure of success, which could have been like the profitability or the revenue generated by those relationship managers, you could have just measured, all right, well, have they improved their profitability? And you would have had 100% alignment between the value of, of the data work that was done to, to help improve the business and the business results, 100% alignment. So, you know, in, in we, my husband's always saying, I mean, this is, a, this is a catchphrase, measure twice, cut once. You know, he, he says that <laughs> to me, me when we're doing various projects around the house. Yeah. So, so when, when this CDO told me the story, I, I said, I think the answer is we need to measure once. We need to measure once and we have to have 100% overlap between a business, the business outcome and the data outcome. So, uh, you know. Something, but I love your feedback on that. Well, so so that that actually kind of to me that touches on both because marketing is, is, or I should say, the accounting is the measuring, but there's also an aspect here that you were kind of touching on, and and this goes back to the our our, our kind of our first thread is you you as a CDO you need to figure out how to ring your own bell. Yes, uh, you you need you need to be out there shouting from the mountaintops. Look what we did. Right. And, and there's not nearly enough of that. I don't, I don't think there's like, and I think it's maybe just it people just uh, like, you know, we're, we're, we're not into a lot of self-promotion and we're not into a lot of hype or although we, we fall prey to it all the time, but in terms of like being generators of hype, I don't, I think we, we, we're generally not like that. Uh, but, but there's room for that in, in a CDO organization, right? There's room for marketing. There's room for promotion. There's room to be out there and, and, the metaphor I've always used is is pounding the drum. You need to yes. keep pounding the drum. You're gonna once one one arm is here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do, and the other is here's what we've done. Here's what we've done, and 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 I think both of these things. I think there's room for both, and and this is what what you just suggested in your last response. Yeah, and I think it's important that you're not the one that's always the being the one pounding the drum. Uh, you can be in the drum chorus, but the most effective pounders of the drum are your customers. Uh, and I'm talking in this case, in, in a sense, in your internal customers Good point. who successfully have de deployed deployed solutions. When they can be the messenger, um, there's there's just such a, a snowball effect to that. So I think um, really finding the right allies in the business, having them uh, pound the drum, you know, having a having a drum circle. You need a drum circle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 all for it. I've actually I went to a powwow once, and and if you, and if you've never gone to a powwow, just phenomenal, total non sequitur, but it included these these drum circles and with this music that is just so powerful, it's unbelievable. Anyway, before we move off the HBR you know, article, which, you know, on, okay, so I have to say, I know this is more of a guy thing. These drum circles, I, although I love. <laughs> oh, is it? I didn't know it was a guy in thing. The forest where I am oh. today, um, I do think there is something to having a little fun with all of this and having yeah, camaraderie yeah. and having competition and having some sport and having not so having not so much seriousness around it. Of course, this is a serious topic. I'm not looking in any way to to minimize the the, the types of things that we use data to solve in, in any way. Um, but there is just uh, I think we need a little more um, spark 
enthusiasm, inspiration, uh, uh, to get people fired up. I mean, we're the work is important. The work is exciting and it's intellectually stimulating and it's challenging and we can really make positive change in, in so many ways. And um, I, I think there's, there is room for uh, a little pizzazz factor in, in this whole business. Sizzle. That's, that's yeah, that's maybe a little <laughs> but, you bit know, of sizzle. Sizzle in a way that, um, sizzle in a way that is, uh, that, that has, that isn't meaningful? salesy sizzle. Like yeah, meaningful. Sizzle. Yeah, that, that has some depth and substance. Right. Um, and and not sizzle. Uh, snake, sizzle, I, I kind of I get it. align yeah. a bit snake oil. You know what I mean? But yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. Think, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Something substantive. Yes. Uh, but but we but having more fun, absolutely. So before we move off the HBR article, so we had CDOs. Then then Gartner, I, I would argue Gartner kind of really pushed the CDAO, the chief data and analytics officer, and separated data and analytics. And I'm not a fan of that um, for for because I because I happen to think analytics is is a data use case, and and maybe I'm a little data management centric, and okay, so be it. Because I think that creates kind of the data versus analytics creates these false divides. It's analytical use cases versus typically more operational use cases. We can find a way to, to bring them together. To your point, of finding a way to synergize across use cases mm-hmm. and cross pollinate is the word you use. But in the HBR article, um, you use the CDAI, meaning artificial intelligence, um, and I want I want to poke on that a, a little bit. Was that when you were talking with Randy about about the article, what how, how did the how did that come about? The use of, of that is that is that or am I just behind the times and everybody knows this and I don't? Or yeah, no, I think it's more a recognition that um, the way the way the way I would see it is that the capabilities that the the, the first waves of CDOs set up um, in terms of uh, some of the. Uh, governance structures, the committee organizations, bringing people across the enterprise together um, from all walks, from whether it's the business, whether it's compliance, legal, privacy, ethics, all of those things that seemed perhaps a bit bit heavy handed when the topic was only data, data quality and so forth. Mm -hmm. Now these topics in the world of AI, these are headline news and people in daily and cocktail conversations and conversations walking their dogs in the park are talking about AI and worrying about algorithms and bias. This is now this is part of conversation. So I think it's interesting that we, we CDO was kind of anticipated the, the need for the, this kind of um, uh, cross-functional uh, dialogue to, to work through these issues and those structures in a sense can be uh I think heightened and and now applied with I think we've got the like the right construct I guess to apply to to the world of AI you know whether whether in any given company it's the right people it's been the right level of visibility the right level of authority that's another topic but um I think the idea that um having uh, having these disciplines come together that that's the idea of the CDAIO. Got it. Is that um, it's leveraging the, the, those constructs and applying them in a in a in the world we live in today. I'm all for the public at large knowing typically that data science and AI roles and data science and AI mm-hmm. as to the degree that they're individual organizations within a broader IT function. I I'm all for them knowing that these would typically tier under some sort of chief data officer. So so I'm all for that. It's just 
it just doesn't flow off the tongue very easily. That's, that's yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that anyone has, you know, there's no standard as to all right. yeah, no, well, how this is all going to shake out. It was more, I think, to say that in the world of AI, here are some things that need to change. Okay. I don't need to change the name of the podcast is what I'm hearing. That's good. <laughs> That's good. All right. Let, let, let's pivot. I, I teed one issue, issue up. I'd love your perspective on it because you do mention data literacy in the HBR article. So I guess we haven't fully uh, migrated off of that. I'll, I'll tell you my concern and I, I would love to hear your, your, your mm -hmm. thoughts on that. The whole, to me, uh, the, the, the data literacy movement, as it were, um, really picked up steam from two things. One, a book that Jordan Morrow wrote called Be Data Literate. Jordan calls himself, uh, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet, by the way, calls himself uh, the godfather of data literacy. That was one force. And another force is that right around the same time, Gartner started hyping it. Uh, and, and those things together, so data literacy got onto the hype cycle and it, Gartner has this wonderful ability to, to, to create self-fulfilling prophecies uh, in that they put things on the hype cycle and then analysts like me start to talk about them and then more people are talking about them and all of a sudden they're becoming really popular. And I think that's what happened with data literacy uh, two, maybe starting three years ago-ish. And, and here we are, it's, it's a household name now. And if you kind of go back to the genesis of, uh, of, the, of, of data literacy, at least from the perspective, I would argue, of, of Jordan Morrow's book, the underlying premise goes back to a study he did while he was the head of data strategy or... If, I can't remember his exact title, but Click. he was at Click. Was Click. We, we, were, we were both keynote speakers at a conference in May. There you go. And, and he was at Click and he commissioned a study that, that said that um, people don't know how to use data and that they're not getting any, any value out of data. And he drew the conclusion that they're not getting any value out of it because there's a skills gap. There's a, the, the underlying premise of data literacy says that there's a lack of skills in the user community and in, in, in the, their ability to use data. And, and, and Jordan describes it even in more detail than that. He says, use, interrogate, question. There's a, there's a few attributes that he states in his book about like, what does it actually mean to use? It, it's this interactive thing. It's interrogating the data. It's, it's operationalizing the data. It's, it's testing the data. All good stuff. But the, but the premise is, is that that is a function of low, for lack of a better word, low user skills. And I looked at that and I said, okay, first of all, I had to, I had to, I had to stop my, my, my thought process, which is, okay, the opposite of literate is illiterate. And that sounds a little mean. Um, and who wants to be mean? Um, I'm trying to gain stakeholders and followers and acolytes in an organization, not, not, not alienate people, but, but I'll put that aside, put it aside. Okay, but what about the data, right? But what about the data? The metaphor that I use, Allison, again, I'd love to hear your, your perspective here, is that if data is a product, and let's say I'm, I was building a product, this, this thing, this is my phone, this is 344, um, and nobody used it. Everybody hated it. The, 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 the Yelp reviews were, were horrible. Nobody could log in. People complained about it. Maybe they even went and I was giving it away, knock, knock for free within my organization. You could use it. There's no cost to use it per se, or maybe there's some budget allocation every year, but let's go assume somebody else goes by, buys another one from somebody else, pays money for it. As a product manager for that, would I naturally conclude the inability to use or get value from my product was because of a training issue? Yeah, so <laughs> I have a lot to say on this topic. <laughs> 
<laughs> so first of all, I, you know, I, I, I don't love the, I don't love the idea of, of calling this, whatever this is, data literacy. Um, I would like to say, by the way, that um, I am actually concerned about actual literacy. And hmm. I think that anybody who wants to talk about lack of data literacy, I would like them first to understand um, the literacy levels in the U.S. public schools. Uh, because right now, fourth graders and eighth graders, I believe it's something like less than a third of our fourth and eighth graders that when they're tested um, are, are achieving uh, grade level standards in um, reading and in math. So I feel like this is a bit corporate hyperbole problem versus mm -hmm. real problem. And if we're going to use a loaded word like literacy, I'd like it applied in a context where it really matters. Um, and I would like people to educate themselves about literacy and education in this country. And let's talk about a real problem because that's a real problem. In a company, I'm not saying that there aren't skills gaps in, in various areas that need to be addressed, but I think those are role and context based. And I think using a word like literacy seems a bit, uh, vapid to me. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I, I, I think you lose credibility as a CDO when you walk around and, and talk about uh, you're not literate. When, when people are functioning in a, in a digital society at this point, where um, virtually every interaction you have, whether it's uh, monitoring your own health, dealing with your doctor, shopping, whatever it is, you are engaged in the digital economy and you've got to be fairly savvy just to just to be a successful citizen these days. So I think you need to assume that people come to work with a fairly, you know, sophisticated level of uh, awareness of the digital economy and you need to kind of meet them where they are. And I think talking about things in terms of data literacy is is like a little simplistic and insulting if you ask me. Well, my biggest agreed but but if, but I think my biggest concern is that that perspective is is blaming the users for a product failure. Right. Yeah. I, yes. I, I think exactly. I think um, it's it's this. I think it's this tone. I think we've talked about this word, the scolding tone of this is a you thing. Uh, you're not enough of this. You know, you're not literate enough. You're not focused enough on your data quality. Scold, scold, scold. Um, instead of this is a we thing. What's the we thing? What's the problem we're trying to solve? What are the things we need to do for our customers? What are the things we need to do to be successful as a company? Um, do we have gaps that we need to address? How do we address those gaps? I, I think a more collaborative uh more collaborative spirit as opposed to a compliance and uh, finger waving spirit is, is what I think the next generation of, of leaders needs to adopt. Uh, and, and that's not to say that that's what everybody has been doing, but, but I think in general, and, and, and take this out of the context of CDOs, mm -hmm. uh, take, put this in any leadership role, people, compliance cannot be, compliance is not a sustainable competitive advantage. <laughs> You've got to win people's hearts and minds. You've got to be, people want to be associated with a higher cause. 
And you can't finger wave people to death, whether it's to improve their data quality, whether it's to be more so-called data literate. Like it, the, the nature of the role needs to change to, to be more, how do we get people together uh, to attack real problems uh, in, a, in a, a more intellectually rigorous way? And I think we just have a very, we use simplistic hyperbolic language that to me is, uh, is a bit of a turnoff. Couldn't agree more and, and incredibly well said. Uh, we need to have a collaborative, productive, supportive relationship with our customers. I love the fact you use the word customer, not stakeholder, not business, customers, because that's what they are. They're our customers. And, and, and kind of starting a conversation with, you know, I have concerns about your literacy is not a great way to start the conversation. <laughs> and, and I think that, I think, I mean, I saw this at Gartner all the time. Because six hours out of every day, I have having one-on-ones as CDOs, asking questions about challenges and things that they're trying to overcome. And I, frankly, what I saw was a lot of, for lack of a better word, maybe animosity towards mm -hmm. towards towards customers, mm -hmm. right? And because I, I would hear phrases like, "Well, you can lead a horse to water," well, or they just don't get it. Or, well, they're the business and they're never going to get data quality. They don't understand that, you know, they don't understand the downstream impacts. They just don't get it. They're making my job harder. And, and I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And I, this is something I think about literally every day. We have successful businesses. Our business partners are doing a good job. The systems that they implement to support their operational day-to-day -day tasks are implemented the way they're implemented for a reason, mm -hmm. to be as efficient as absolutely possible. And what I think I'm seeing is, is that maybe, maybe that means that sometimes we are less efficient in the data and analytics world, but it doesn't mean they're out to get us and it doesn't mean they don't right. get it. And it doesn't mean they don't care. Right. Like I know our job is hard. I've, I've led data teams. I know the job is hard, but it's the kind of the us and them, the animosity that, that we really need to do away with. And I, and I think that taking a different perspective on, on data literacy is a great start. And I would also I would also welcome a different perspective from uh, around data quality. And, and yes. this can be our last topic today because I, I, you and I were talking about this. Uh, I made a post a little while ago citing this re completely ridiculous stat uh, about how 80% of all data scientists' time is wasted due to low data quality. And my head wanted to explode when I read that. And then I did a little more Google searching and my, and my head was uh, head separated from my body and was spinning counterclockwise above my body because what I saw over and over and over again was article after article after article after article saying kind of similar incendiary things about the, the uh, absolutely dismal state of data quality. And then when I peeled the onion on some of these things, I was like, okay, what does this mean? What are they spending this 80% of their time doing? It's like, well, they're, they're, they're transforming data. They're normalizing data. They're, they're wrestling with integration across systems that, that have disparate database management systems. They are um, maybe dealing with semantic challenges between the way that different systems or applications define things. And I was like, wait a minute, most of this actually isn't data quality at all. It, 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 it has to do with the fact that we've got kind of these specialized business functions that all work largely independently and do things slightly differently, but that's by design. Mm -hmm. That's not because they're out to get us. That's, because, that's not because they don't get it. That's not because they don't care about data quality. By the way, data quality issues are real, right? Like they're, they, they are real, like duplicate records, incomplete records, records that, are, that should have been archived years ago that are no good. Like there are real data quality issues, but then the stuff that was quoted in these articles just were not. But I talk with data leaders 
every day for three years who, who, who were complaining about what the business was doing to make their jobs harder. Yeah, I think, um, you know, these, it is amazing how, you know, these, these things like 80% of their time. Well, well, first of all, so I, so I agree. I mean, there are, there are data quality problems, but, but a, you know, a mature data function, you know, should have tolerance levels measuring the proper dimensions that we all talk about uh, for your most critical data. And you should have the mechanisms or build the mechanisms to put them in place to, to be able to speak to data quality in, in quantitative terms. Um, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole, we all, we all know the structures and, and, you know, governance mechanisms around this. So, so when we talk about data quality, we should be talking about it, uh, with some specificity to like, what is the actual, you know, what is the actual problem? You know, I, I would hope that people working with data, um, if they're using the raw material, that they are, um, that they are helping inform uh, the, the collective, the, the, you know, the, the organization of when there are issues. And, and, and um, I, I wouldn't expect a data scientist to, to sit down and uh, assume that, that, that they should just start like, generating insights it's ridiculous part part of part of your learning is familiarizing yourself with the data is actually looking at the data and 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 getting i, I mean i can't i don't even know what what to say on this, on this topic other, other than again these are just such simplistic notions when yes. um when we should be talking much more about um, a spirit of inquiry, a spirit of learning, a spirit of communication of saying, hey, why am I seeing these types of things? What is this suggesting there might be a deeper problem? Do we have uh, redundant systems that might be the cause of this? Is, is, and maybe that was by design back you know, 15 years ago, but is that now a problem that we need to address? So instead of throwing up our hands and saying, I can't do anything, it, it, we should use this as... Um, whatever material to be able to make decisions about where we need to be investing. Um, there's just like, we don't have the right feedback loops. We have complaint loops, but we don't have feedback loops in the spirit of how do we really improve things? I, I, you know, I think we need to get into that um, more of a, more of this kind of collaborative, how do we build things together better for the future instead of, I can't work with this. I mean, it's, it's just a mindset shift that I think is needed. And, and, you know, perhaps has been achieved in some organizations. Perfect. It's the mindset shift, how to be more collaborative, how to be more supportive, how to be more customer centric and, and assume that typically the business probably has positive intentions because we're all, we, we all have similar goals when it comes to at least the high level goals. So couldn't agree more. Well stated. Allison, with that, we we have reached our, our our time. I know you and I could keep going, and I and I could just keep feeding the fire with these additional topics because I, I know we think in many ways uh, similarly about uh, many things. Look forward to meeting you in person one day. It'd be awesome. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, thank you again for your time today. Thanks all to our listeners and to our viewers and to our subscribers. If you're not already a subscriber of the CDO Matters podcast, uh, I would be thrilled if you subscribe. But other than that, I will look forward to having another conversation with another brilliant data leader sometime in the near future. Thank you, Allison. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you.